Hey friends, thank you for joining us today. We're glad you're here with us. Hey, we've got a lot of stuff going on here at Christ Community Church, so make sure to check out our website. Um, we've got lots of things that you can go to our upcoming events. Uh, there's lots of groups, ways you can get connected, so be sure to do that. Also, like and subscribe so more content can uh, show up in your feed. We hope you enjoy the message today. Amen. Well, hey, you guys can go ahead and, and grab a seat. Like I mentioned earlier, my name is Nate, one of the pastors here. I work in kind of our outreach world, but I also have the privilege of being on our teaching team. Now, before we dive into the message, I do want to say hey to a few people. So I'm going to look at the camera in the back. Hello to our traditions friends, to our friends in LaSalle and everybody watching online. We are so glad that you guys are tuning in and a part of what God is doing through Christ community. Cool. Got that out of the way. Didn't want to forget that. Yeah, you can, I don't know why you're clapping, but I'll take it. Uh, so, hey, a couple weeks ago, I was taking my oldest daughter. She's actually sitting over here. Uh, I was taking her down to Zoe's for student night. And when we got in the car, she started talking to me about getting her license in a couple years, which I'll, I'll admit, that felt a little weird, right? I don't really feel like I'm old enough to have a kid who's thinking about getting their license, but there's nothing I can do about it. She's been growing up, so I just kind of got to roll with it, I guess. But that conversation led to another conversation about what kind of car she's wanting to get. I know, I know. See, we have a rule in our house. If uh, you want to get something big like that, you've got to contribute towards it, right? I'm not just going to pay for everything. I got five kids. Like, there's no way I could possibly do this. And so we start to have these conversations with our kids when they're young because we want to prepare them for the harsh, brutal reality that when you want stuff, it costs money, especially a car, right? And so I asked her, what kind of car do you want to get? And she told me, I would like to get an electric vehicle. Yeah, I thought that was a little interesting. Personally, I think they're pretty cool. I wouldn't mind having one, but I was really curious about why she wanted one. So I asked her and she told me she wanted one because she heard they're better for the environment. You see, my daughter, she loves animals, she loves nature, and she just doesn't want anything destructive to happen to it. And she said with some things that she learned at school, she thinks that carbon emission vehicles, which would include gas and diesel, are a threat to the environment. Well, I definitely didn't see the conversation going there. I thought she was just gonna talk about how like Teslas look cool or something like that. Uh, but, but we ended up talking about this on the whole drive over. We talked about some of the different perspectives on this issue, on why people feel the way that they do. And then, and then I told her how expensive an electric vehicle was and what that was gonna cost her. Well, needless to say, she changed her mind pretty quick about wanting one. Now, in that conversation we had, we didn't get into a debate about the merits of each side. We didn't talk about who's right, who's wrong. I don't want to do that here either. It's not why I'm bringing it up. The reality is there's a lot of people on both sides of so many different controversial issues who love Jesus and are amazing people. But that conversation, it really got me thinking about how in our world today, there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time thinking about the things that pose a threat to either them or the things they love things that if they were left unchecked could be really destructive, right? For, for some people like my daughter, it's environmental issues. For other people, it's what happens when certain political leaders and certain political parties get into power and how that impacts them. For others, it's their financial situation or maybe the financial situation of our country, which let's be honest, is not all that great. Others think about the military conflicts happening all over the world. I mean, the fact is, we all have something we think about 
when we think about the things that are a threat to us or the things we love. That's normal. But here's what I've been wondering. Are we just as aware and concerned about the things that are a threat to us in the church? Are we just as aware and concerned about the things that are keeping us from experiencing the life that Jesus wants for us? Are we aware of the things that are actually holding us back, the stumbling blocks that pose a threat to our spiritual health and well-being? Do we put the same amount of time and energy into thinking about those things in the same way that we do about those other things? About a month and a half ago, we started a series here, uh, and, and in this series, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church he planted in the city of Corinth. He had heard some things were not going well there, and so he writes this letter to them. And we're looking over the course of this series of what Paul said to them in their time so that we could see what God might be saying to us in our time. And in the passage we're looking at today, I think Paul identifies something that is potentially one of the biggest threats to the church. And not just their church. This is for our church as well. It's something that has the ability to destroy the spiritual health and well-being of every follower of Jesus. And that thing, it's, well, it's spiritual immaturity. It's when people see themselves as being spiritually mature when in reality, they're living in a way that sometimes displays the exact opposite. This is what the believers in Corinth were struggling with. This is what we struggle with too, if we're honest. You see, we all have areas of spiritual immaturity in our own lives. And what we're gonna see in this letter and what we probably have experienced in our own lives is that often a lack of spiritual maturity is the thing that's at the root of so many of the problems and issues that we're dealing with. It was true for them. I know it's true for me and I've got to imagine it's probably true for us as well. So in this passage we're gonna be looking at, which is chapter three, verses one to 15, we're gonna see Paul not only call this issue out, right? He's gonna directly call the Corinthians out on their spiritual immaturity. We're also gonna see him give them a couple things that they can do, specifically two things they could do to help them move away from immaturity and to start growing in maturity. It's gonna be the thing that's gonna allow them to become the people who are living the kind of lives that Jesus would want for them, the kind of mature lives that could actually be used for kingdom work. All right, so Paul starts off by saying this in verse one. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. All right, so right off the, the bat here, Paul begins by addressing the people he's writing to as brothers and sisters. In doing this, he's reminding them of their shared identity in Christ, this thing that actually unites them together. And this is actually something Paul does a lot in this letter, right? Pastor Alan talked about it in the first week of this series, but before Paul would ever rebuke or correct somebody, he would first remind them of who they were. Instead of just jumping directly to the hard thing he wanted to say, which is something I'm a little bit prone to do in my own life, he would actually intentionally lead with love because he knows that when they know who they are, when they know that they're loved, it's gonna reframe the entire conversation and prepare them to hear what he has to say. And this truth that Paul confronts them with here, 
It's a hard truth. Paul says that they aren't living as spirit-filled followers of Jesus. Instead, they're living as a people who are still worldly. Right now, that, that word worldly in the Greek, it's the word sarkikos. I think I'm saying that right. I actually don't really know. No one really speaks this kind of Greek anymore. So we'll just say I'm right on this. But typically when we hear this word in the English, we think about it in terms of behavior with what somebody's doing, right? Oh, that's worldly music. Those are worldly TV shows and movies. That's worldly talk. But in the Greek, it didn't really reference what somebody did. It wasn't about actions. It was actually about the thing underneath that that was motivating them. The thing that was controlling them. And in this case, Paul says that the church in Corinth was being controlled by their sinful natures and desires. In other words, their, their, their flesh. Instead of being a people who are spirit-filled and being led by the spirit and being guided by the spirit, they're worldly. And what Paul is trying to help them see is that this is the thing that's underneath the thing. This is the thing that's actually causing all of the problems that he's been hearing about. It's not just a behavior of, or a problem of behaviors that aren't consistent with the gospel. The real issue is this, it's their hearts. This is about a heart issue. Paul goes on to unpack this as he talks about their lack of spiritual maturity. He says that their behavior, these things he's been hearing about, they've got more in common with toddlers who are bickering with one another than the mature adults they should be at this point. Now, when Paul calls them infants, he's not talking about their age. I think you guys know that, but I just want to kind of put that out there, right? He's not talking about age. Many of these believers in this church had actually been following Jesus for years, well, if he's not talking about age, what's he talking about? He's talking about maturity. He's talking about their inability to understand the deeper truths of the gospel and their inability to correctly apply those truths to their lives. Instead of eating solid food, which is this kind of picture Paul gives us for somebody who is mature, somebody who has this understanding of the deeper truths in their application, he says that they're, they're infants drinking milk. They're immature. They're still at square one. This metaphor of solid food and, and milk, it's actually a metaphor that's found in other parts of the New Testament. The author of Hebrews uses it to show us kind of this uh, picture of the linear progression of spiritual maturity. He goes, okay, so you start off like as this infant, and when you're an infant, you drink milk because your body can't handle the, the solid foods, but maybe when you're like two, three, four, five, you start to eat more stuff, and you can get some fruits in there and soft stuff. By the time you're an adult, well, you can eat whatever you want. Right? And, and the whole thing that all the, the author of Hebrews and everybody else is trying to do is like, okay, they're trying to paint this picture of spiritual maturity looking very much like that, right? When you're a new Christian, simple truth, simple application. And then as you mature and grow, the truth, it gets a little more complex. You got to think about it a little bit more. It starts to actually permeate more and more of your life. And you realize it's not just about this declaration, but this thing actually begins to change the way that you live. It begins to change the things that you desire, right? There is this maturity that happens. And what Paul is letting them know is that that maturity, that growth, it's not happening in Corinth. Now, it's important for us to remember the cultural context here. All right, Corinth was a big city that had a lot of people coming through it. It was a melting pot of different philosophies, worldviews, and religions. 
The Corinthians were surrounded by this enlightened culture that was moving in the exact opposite direction that the gospel was calling them to live. And what's become apparent to Paul, based off what he's been hearing, is that the believers in this church, they were struggling to let go of their old ways of living. That they were struggling to let go of their old ways of thinking. And instead, they were actually being influenced by the culture around them. And that influence was shaping the way they saw not only the gospel, but also how they applied the gospel to their lives. We actually see an example of this a little bit later in the letter. Uh, The believers, they thought they were so mature in their faith and in their understanding of how to apply the gospel to their lives that when it came to a young guy sleeping with his stepmother, they celebrated it. And they said, look at, look at how free we are in Christ. Look at our understanding of grace. We're able to have this guy be a part of our church. Isn't that awesome? And Paul's like, no, that's a problem, right? You've got these people who think they're mature, who think they're spiritual, but in reality, they're not. They're immature. They're worldly. Now, what Paul says here, this is something that I think we have to deal with as well, don't we? I mean, just like the believers in Corinth were constantly bombarded with cultural ideologies and worldviews that clash against the teachings of Jesus. If you don't believe me, hop on social media, look at the most popular TV shows and movies that are out right now. Friends, if we're not careful, if we don't take the time to really think through these messages that we're hearing, if we don't take time to filter them and evaluate them through a gospel lens, we're just as susceptible of ending up like the Corinthians being in a place where we see ourselves as mature, when in reality, we're not. Paul goes on to say this. He says, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. So so Paul spent these first few verses telling them they were immature, and now he begins to tell them why. He says it's because of the jealousy and the quarreling that exists among them. And this jealousy and quarreling has been so significant, it's been so pervasive, that it's actually leading to divisions, the kind of divisions that he's hearing about, even though he lives hundreds of miles away. Now, a lot of times when we think about maturity, we think about it through the lens of how smart somebody is, what they know, how long they've been doing it, how old they are, how much gray hair they have. But I think Paul in Galatians 5 actually gives us a better system for judging maturity than the one we typically use. It's a system that's not going to look at outward things. It's actually going to look at what's happening inside of us. There in chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul says this. He says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what it looks like to be mature. It's to be somebody who embodies those things. Then he says that the works of the flesh, or in other words, the works of a worldly person, well, they're things like this, sexual immorality, impurity, Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's what immaturity looks like. It's to be somebody who embodies those things. 
Now, did you notice that a few of the works of the flesh, uh, specifically jealousy, rivalries, and divisions, those are things that Paul explicitly identifies the Corinthians as struggling with? Instead of being united as brothers and sisters in Christ, they were being uh, caught up in these debates over which leader was better, right? Was, Was it Paul who planted the church or was it Apollos who pastored the church? And these debates that were leading to conflict in the church and not just conflict, it was leading to divisions. People were choosing sides. They were drawing up battle lines. And what Paul wants them to see is that these divisions and fights are revealing that they're not mature like they thought they were because it shows that at the end of the day, they're not focused on the right thing. You see, they're so caught up in arguing over who's better that they're missing out on the most important thing. And Paul is trying to reframe this conversation to get the focus off of him and Apollos and back onto Jesus, right? Paul, Apollos, they are just servants of the church. They're not the point of the church. Jesus is. He's the one that they need to be focused on. Now, this issue that Paul addresses, it's kind of a universal issue that still exists in the church today, doesn't it? I mean, we see division happening everywhere, and it's over things like preferences and ideologies, likes, dislikes. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, I was on uh, Nextdoor. And if you don't know what that is, it's this community sharing app where you can interact with the people in your city. It's kind of like a Facebook, but for your neighborhood. And I saw somebody post something on there where they were inviting people to come to their church. And I thought that was pretty cool. You know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you'd go put those little things on people's doors, but now we have the technology and we can just log on and reach so many more people. I thought it was really cool. Well, in the comments, you probably know where this is going. There were uh, a couple people who decided that they needed to chime in and tell people not to go to that church because they disagreed with their theology because they didn't like their music, because they didn't like their preaching. And then they instead told people to go to their church, which they said was better. That's kind of what was happening here in Corinth, right? This is why what Paul says here about getting our focus back on Jesus is so important for us, because this is something that we're dealing with today. We all have this temptation to draw battle lines and to fight against people. But what Paul is saying is like, look, look beyond your personal preferences. Look beyond the things that can divide you and instead focus on your shared identity in Jesus and the unity he calls you to. He goes on to talk in the next few verses about how these things that are dividing them, these things that they're fighting over, how they were actually things that were meant to work for their unison, uh, not, not their unison, work in unison for their good. He says this, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Paul uses a a metaphor here to illustrate his point of how people with different roles in the church, of how people with different perspectives and likes, how they can actually work together towards the same goal, right? He says that he planted the seed of faith when he planted the church. That's when many of them became followers of Jesus. And then Apollos, he watered it when he came to teach the church. He helped them grow in their faith. But he reminds them that ultimately, It wasn't him or Apollos who was responsible for their growth. It was God. You see, both planting and watering are important. They really are. There's a time and a place for both of these things to happen. But without God's intervention, without God doing the thing that he alone can do, planting and watering would be pointless because they'd be fruitless, right? Without God's intervention, without God showing up, there would be no growth. 
this metaphor captures the cooperative nature of how the church is supposed to function. Uh, A lot of times we have this tendency to only see things through our own lens. We filter things through our own experiences and the things that connect and resonate with us. But what Paul is saying here is that we all have roles to play in the kingdom. We all have a part to play in the church. And all of those parts and all of those roles are important. And we can't make any one part or any one role or any one person or any one preference more important than the other. Because all of us, whether we're a planter or a waterer, we're at the end of the day servants of Jesus. We're not the point. He is. Now, in case they didn't pick up on what he's been saying, Paul makes it super clear with what he says next. He says, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. All right, Paul is just driving this home. They're all working together in God's service. Right? We are all working together in God's service. All of us have been invited to be active participants in this thing that God is doing. All right, so this brings us up to the first thing Paul would invite us to or call us to that can help us grow in spiritual maturity. And that's this, it's the pursuit of unity and relational health in the church. All right, it's the pursuit of unity and relational health in the church. If we wanna grow in maturity, we need to stop focusing on the things that divide us and instead look at the things that unite us. Right, Paul says that when we take our eyes off of that, when we lose sight of this, We're gonna get distracted from the things that we've been called to do. And when we get distracted, when we're not united, when we're not healthy in the relationships that we have with the people we're in community with, we're not gonna move towards maturity. We're actually gonna move away from it. And so if you wanna become more spiritually mature, if this is an area that you really wanna grow in, focus on unity, fight for it. Focus on relational health, fight for it. That's our first thing. Well, Paul moves on to start talking about the second thing that could help us grow in this area. He says this in the next verse. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul begins by talking about his role as a wise builder who laid a solid foundation, And the foundation he says he built things on is this. It's who Jesus revealed himself to be. He's the one who is the power of God. He is the one who is the wisdom of God. The one who through his death on the cross conquered sin and death forever so that those who are far from God might be able to draw near to him. This foundation is actually what Paul spent most of the first two chapters talking about. And he says that there is no other foundation that a follower of Jesus can successfully build their life on other than Jesus. Now, based on what's come before this, it can only be assumed that what Paul is saying here is a direct challenge to the Corinthians who are being swayed and influenced by the culture around them. Because of how these different ideologies and cultural values had shaped them and infiltrated their way of thinking, they were actually building their lives on things other than Jesus. Things like wisdom, the perception of maturity, money, power, influence, you name it, they were building their life on it. They were finding their hope in it. 
And Paul here is warning them, because remember, he loves these people. He's warning them, please, friends, build with care. Make sure you get your foundation in Jesus right, because Paul knows that all of those other foundations are eventually going to fall apart. And when the foundation you're standing on falls apart, you're going down with it. What Paul says here about a firm foundation, it echoes Jesus' words in Matthew 7, where he contrasts the wise man who built his house on the rock with the foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the storms came, the seas began to rage. It was only the house with the firm foundation that remained standing. The other one came crashing down. When our foundation is in Jesus, when that's where our hope is, We're going to be able to stand firm no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what we encounter in life, because that foundation we're standing on, it will never fail. Paul wraps up this passage by talking about how we're to build on this foundation. He says this, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. so, So here Paul says that essentially there are two options that we have for the ways in which we live our lives. Two ways that we can invest what we have, two ways to build. One is what I'd call the way of self. It's what Jesus calls the way of the foolish builder. It's the way of uh, wood, hay, and straw. Like the Corinthians, when we build our lives in this way, we choose to go after comfort, after success, money, fame, and power, thinking that ultimately that's where our meaning and our hope is gonna be found. Right? When we live and build in this way, we assimilate into the culture around us and we adopt its ideologies as we build our lives only with the here and now in mind. But the other option that Paul mentions for how we can build our lives is what I'd call the way of Jesus. This is the way of wisdom. It's the way of gold, silver, and costly stones. When we build our lives this way, we choose to forsake ourselves to forsake our wants and our desires. We give ourselves over to love and service of the people around us. We commit to being a people who are about the kingdom. Our ambition isn't to become great. It's not to become more, but it's actually to become less so that Jesus can become more in us. This isn't the kind of life that helps us blend into the world. It's the kind of life that makes you stand out. This is the kind of life where the business owner works hard to grow their business not because they want to go buy a second vacation home. They do it because they want to actually leverage those resources to expand the kingdom so they could invest in more kingdom work. I actually know a few people who are doing this here in our church. And because of their generosity, because of their faithfulness and commitment to the kingdom, they're actually investing hundreds of thousands of dollars every year into kingdom work here in our city. This could be the stay-at-home parent who intentionally leverages their skills and talents when the kids are at school so that they could bless others and serve them and build the kingdom in that way. This is actually something I've got to see my wife do. 
right? When our kids are at school, she leverages her time and resources to bless others. She's been a hairstylist for many, many years. Uh, she still cuts out of our home, it's super great, but she's able to take that skill and to be able to offer it for free to people who are in financial need. And in that time, she's not only able to give them a haircut, right, to provide a physical need for them, she's able to encourage them, to speak truth to them, to pray for them, to let people know that they matter, right? As a husband, like, I am so proud when I see my wife doing that. Like, it is amazing that this could be the person who takes care of their body and works out regularly, but they don't do it for vanity's sake. They do it so that they could build relationships with people at the gym, get to know them. They, they do it so they can get strong, so they could be used in the Lord's service. These are the people who go out and they volunteer to help the elderly move. When there's a service project that requires strength, they're the ones who show up, right? This way of living, this Jesus way of living, it is a costly way of living because it's a way of living where we're not just focused on the here and now. We're doing things with a much broader perspective in mind. We're doing it with eternity in mind, which means that sometimes we're not gonna see the fruit of these things we're doing now. So what Paul writes here, it actually brings us to the second thing Paul says can help us grow in spiritual maturity, something that we can do that's gonna help us move more towards that, and, and that's this. It's living with eternity in mind. It's not focusing on what we can get for ourselves, right? Think back to that list of the works of the flesh from Galatians 5, those things that show our immaturity, right? It's not about self-pleasure, right? When we live with eternity in mind, we're focused on what God is actually inviting us into. We're focused on this kingdom that he's building, this thing that he's doing here in our world. We're living for that. It's building our lives with that in mind. Now, here's why all of this matters. Here's why spiritual maturity is so important for us to pursue. Paul gets into something here at the end of this passage that we don't really like to talk about in the Western church, and that's judgment. Usually when we talk about judgment, we only talk about it through the lens of those who've accepted Christ and those who haven't, right? Judgment is for them, it's not for us. But Paul is actually really clear here. There is a judgment for those who follow Jesus. There's a day coming where we're gonna to have to give an account for how we lived our lives, for how we stewarded the things that God has given us, where everything we've done, where everything we've built our lives on, for everything we've placed our hope in, all of it will be judged and evaluated based on its merit. And Paul says that our reward in eternity is gonna be based on what survived that judgment. The things that were built with wood, hay, and straw, they're gonna be destroyed. The things we did for ourselves, they're, they're not gonna last. But the things that were built with gold, silver, and costly stones, the things we did for the kingdom, the things we did with eternity in mind, this way of Jesus, that's the stuff that'll last. I, I don't know about you, but I don't wanna to get to that day and see everything I live for go up in flames. I don't wanna look back on my life one day only to realize that I wasted it pursuing things that really didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. I wanna give my life to doing things that matter. 
I want to give my life to things that have significance in the kingdom. I want to spend my life doing things that will have an eternal impact. Even with this hard truth, he speaks here. Paul wraps up what he says with a word of grace. Even if our work is burned up and we live for all the wrong things, if we know Jesus, if we place our trust in him, we're still going to be saved. Right? This isn't a salvation thing. And look, this isn't an excuse for complacency or a reason to not try either. If anything, it's actually a reminder of God's mercy and grace. It's a reminder that despite our failings and our flaws, our salvation is always secure in Jesus. And, and honestly, I really think that when we know that, it changes the way we see everything. It can change our desires, right? Becoming mature, following Jesus, becoming the people that he's actually inviting us to be. It's not a thing that we have to do anymore to be loved. It's not a thing that we have to do to be accepted. It's instead a thing we get to do because we already are loved. I don't know about you, but my motivation changes big time when I realize that. To know that Jesus loves me and he's accepted me and he's brought me into his family and that I don't have to do anything to earn it. Well, suddenly I want to do these things. I'm inspired to do these things. And it's not out of obligation. It's out of love. Church, could you imagine what it would look like if we took this invitation from Paul seriously? Right, if we were really committed to growing in spiritual maturity. I really believe that as a church, we'd be unstoppable. We'd be a united spirit united spirit-filled people investing in and living for the things that really matter. We wouldn't be focused on ourselves. Instead, we'd be focused on the kingdom. We'd be focused on eternity. We would be a people who not only proclaimed the hope of the gospel, but a people who also showed it in everything we did to a world that desperately needs it. That's who I want to be. That's who I want us to be. Let's pray. So for the last uh, month or so, we've actually been trying something new here when we've been together. And this has been such a powerful and beautiful thing to witness. Instead of guiding you through a prayer of response and reflection where we have this place we're trying to lead you, we're instead just creating a space for the Spirit to speak to us to lead us where we need to be led, to meet us right where we are. And so I want to invite you to stand where you are if you're able. And if you're comfortable with doing this, I I would encourage you, place your hands out like this. This is a, a sign of submission. This is a sign of openness. And as you do this, just say this with me. Come, Holy Spirit. We wait, just in your heart, say this. We open our hearts to your presence. Come, Spirit, we wait. And so we'll take a few moments to allow the Spirit to speak. So come, Holy Spirit, we're listening.
second. I get the sense that there are some here in this place tonight who maybe are feeling a sense of guilt or shame for the way that they've lived. And Jesus, I just want to pray against that. Your word says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so would they know that whatever that feeling is, wherever that's coming from, it's not you. Jesus, you are not the one who focuses on the past and the things that have happened. You are the one who looks ahead. And that is what you are inviting us into. Jesus, we want to be a people who are mature, who are growing in maturity. We want to be a people who are part of what you're doing here in this world, building your kingdom so that those who are lost might be found. And so Holy Spirit, would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would we be a people who are united, not allowing to division to creep into this church, into the relationships we have, but a people who are keeping our eyes focused on you, who are living for eternity? Would we build our lives with the things that matter? Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for being patient and gracious with us. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So as we move into a time of worship through music, we're gonna have the opportunity to reflect on the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross through partaking of communion together. And Jesus's death, this, this was the ultimate demonstration of living with eternity in mind, of building with things that are costly. When Jesus hung on that cross, he wasn't thinking about what he was losing in this world. He was actually thinking about what we were gaining in the next. This practice of communion, it was instituted by Jesus at the Last Supper on the night that he was betrayed. And the thing Jesus told his disciples on that night is that the purpose of this practice, it was to remember him. It was to remember who he was, to remember what he did, to remember why he came. And so as we take of the bread and the cup, which represent the body of Jesus that was broken for us and the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us. We are choosing to focus on that which matters most. We're choosing to remember. And so when you're ready during this first song, you can head to one of the tables that's here in the front or there's a few tables in the back, grab the elements and then head back to your seat. And take a few moments to do exactly what Jesus called us to do. Take a few moments to remember. And when you're ready, partake. And then continue to respond and worship. So coming out of this message, we just want to let you know, as always, we're here for you. We're here with you. So if there's anything that we can help you to support you in your spiritual journey, please reach out. Leave us a comment. If you have a prayer request or if you have questions, we would love to chat with you. So definitely reach out. We love you. Be blessed. Have a wonderful rest of your day.